Hey, it's so cool to be uh, here with you. Like Kieran said, my name's Stanley and Rachel was here a little while ago. We've got two uh, little girls, Ella and Annalise. So Ella's nine and Annalise is five. Keep us on our toes and, uh, and doing it. Man, you guys, you've you got it all going on, isn't it? Like everything that's happening leading into Christmas time, smiling faces and God healing people. This is a good place to be, eh? We, um, we've really enjoyed getting to know um, Matt and Jacinda over the past, past few years. Uh, and yeah, r- really do love what God is doing here in our midst. It's great to see some familiar faces, obviously. Uh, some of you have got some history with us. We used to pastor at what was called Life Coast uh, back a number of years ago. Uh, but obviously a whole bunch of you that, are, that, are, that don't know me, and that's, uh, that's all good as well. Um, and um, I, just bef- I, I want to talk to you about um, some little parables, actually. Uh, but before I, before I kind of got there, uh, Tash, who was singing. Uh, where are you, Tash? Oh, Tash, can I steal your drink bottle? I know you thought you were going to get the attention, right? But uh, sorry. I, I, while, we were, um, while we were singing, I was l- a little bit distracted. A great job, by the way, worship team. Um, but I was a little bit distracted by Tasha's uh, drink bottle. <laughs> um, and if you can't read it from the back, it says, stay in the game. Stay in the game. Isn't that a, I thought, oh, man. And to start with, when I saw it, oh, man, that's a cool slogan. You know, have, uh, have put on your drink bottle, obviously, kind of a sporting context. Uh, you know, my mind kind of automatically defaults to cycling analogies and things like that that I, that I love to do. But I just, I just actually felt really arrested by it as we were singing, and I just... I just thought that that actually may well be a word for some uh, people this morning. You know, we live in a, in a culture, in a society that says, you know, when life gets tough, uh, it's actually don't stay in the game. You know, jump out, uh, move somewhere else, go to a different church. Uh, you know, quit your job, uh, quit your marriage. Uh, but this little slogan of... Um, to stay, stay in the game. I just, and sorry to kind of go heavy on you kind of right from the get-go this morning, but I think it's a really important um, just concept in general, uh, but maybe just specifically this morning, you know, just maybe, I don't know, it might be one or two people, it might be a whole bunch of people I don't really mind, um, but I just felt like God was wanting to impress upon someone's heart or some people's heart this morning that, that he, he, he wants to encourage you to stay in the game. It, it might be a, a business issue. It might be something in the workplace that's really challenging at the moment. It might be a, a relationship, maybe to do with someone, one of your kids. It might be uh, in your marriage. Uh, it, it might be to do with church. You might have felt like you've been around church for a long time or kind of battling with this whole maybe God concept or what's, what's kind of going on here, and you've literally had that thought of, uh, maybe, I should just, maybe I should just flip out. You know, Maybe I should just go... Maybe I should just pull the pin, pull the plug on it. It'll just be, it'll just be easier. I, I really think that God wants to say to you this morning to stay in the game. Stay in the game. It's worth it to stay in the game. It may feel dark. It may feel horrible, you know, like we were singing about, but God is faithful. And if you would stick at Christianity, this life of faith, it's not for the faint-hearted, is it? It's not an easy walk in the park. Yes, there's incredible stuff that God's, God brings to us. 
the strength that he brings for a challenging season. You know, there's so much that he provides for us, but yet there is challenge, there is a need to have that stickability, that stand firm. Galatians 5, stand firm then in the freedom that you have. Don't just, you've got to stand firm in it. It's not just going to wash over you and just be an easy ride. Stand firm. Stay in the game. Can I just pray for you if that's you? Can I, just, can I just ask everyone just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? I don't mean to embarrass you in any sort of way, but I just, want, I just want you to take that little step further to acknowledge, yes, that's me. And you'll know, you'll know what it's about. If it is to do with a relationship, if, is, is, if it is to do with work or, or whatever it may be, just if, that's, if that is you, could you just lift your hand just wherever you see it, just eyes closed over the place, just don't worry about who's around you or whatever. God, you see every hand right now. God, and we just acknowledge just as a, as a body of people, as a community of people together, Lord God, Father, that it is worth staying in the game. And God, for these individuals who have just acknowledged right now that there is something that they're battling with, God, I just pray that that word would wash over them. I pray that it would bring strength, that your spirit, Lord God, would just breathe fresh life into that situation, whatever it may be. And God, you would breathe that, that courage, that backbone, that, that ability just to stand firm, to stay in the game. Thank you, God, that you would come and you would do just what only you can do. Change something, shift something, or change a mindset, whatever it needs to be, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I want to talk to you about just some, some little parables this morning, um, some of the kingdom parables. You know, those, those parables in Scripture that Jesus uses, and he says, the kingdom of God is like, dot, 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 or the kingdom of heaven is like. And just, he uses it to, uh, to describe something of this inbreaking, this inflowing nature of the kingdom of God that is to come uh, in, obviously, his life, but through us. Uh, that, would, that would follow. And kind of before I kind of dive into these, these specific um, parables, I just want to talk just for a moment, take a little step back and talk about parables in general. Obviously, if you've been around church for you know, a little while, you'll have heard of parables, right? Anyone? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, and, uh, and the thing with parables is that um, if you're like me and you have been around church for a while, and do you know what? I don't presume that you have. And you may, this may be very, very fresh for you. You may just be really checking out the whole church thing. And parables might be a, a foreign concept to you, and it's all good. In fact, it's awesome to have you here. But the reality is that when I think about kind of parables, I, I think of those stories that Jesus told, you know, to illustrate a point or to, to drive home a particular message. And of course, that is, that is true, but it is the thing about parables that they are so much more than that as well. You know, um, there would be an, an element of familiarity to, the, to, the, to these parables that Jesus told. There'd be something in what he described or told the story of that would be familiar to people. So it might be familiar context-wise in terms of an Old Testament scripture. He might refer to an Old Testament scripture as he's talking to a bunch of Pharisees or he's talking to a room of people, and that would be familiar to them. They would know the context of that particular passage of scripture, or maybe familiar in terms of an activity, you know, talking about something in their daily life that they would understand, right? But then what he would do with these parables is that there would be a, a major twist, 
You know, we all love the movies with a big twist, you know, at the end, don't we? Well, maybe not all of us, maybe that's a wrong assumption, but, uh, you know, that, that there'd be a major significant twist that Jesus would bring as he was using these parables because what he was doing was trying to describe something that was so different, so foreign, so radical, so new, uh, that, that just kind of common language couldn't really do it justice. N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, Jesus told parables because what he was doing was so different, so explosive, and so dangerous that the only way he could talk about it was to use stories. And it's kind of the reality of what he's still doing through the parables today, right? There's something new. There's a a new way of living, a new way of life, a new way of love, a, a new way to how he wants us to live. And just to admit kind of right from the get-go that they're often quite confusing. (laughs) You know, like sometimes you read it and you're like, oh yeah, cool. And you're like, hang on, what? And, uh, and if you're anything like me and you read, it, read them through a little bit like that, it turns out that we are in good company. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of imagine the scenes being a little bit like this, you know, the disciples sometimes around Jesus. There he is talking to, a, you know, a room or a few people or whatever. And uh, he gives this great kind of analogy, this great parable, and the disciples just kind of standing there, yeah, oh, yeah. Maybe a little amen or, yeah, preach it. Wouldn't be a preacher, white man, but you know, preacher. And then a little bit later on, in the in the privacy of you know their own kind of company, they're <laughs> like, "Now, Jesus, I know that we smiled and nodded uh, when you were when you were talking about that story, but what the hang did you mean? <laughs> what are you what are you talking about? Like uh, John sixteen twenty nine, for example." After having one of these discussions, then Jesus' disciples said, "Now you are speaking clearly." and without figures of speech. You know, you kind of sense that frustration in their voices as they, oh, finally, you actually explain to us uh, what you're talking about. And I'm glad that they did, you know, because then there's explanation for us, for me, you know, to try and understand it. And I, re- I, I really just think that it's, um, it's part of the purpose of parables. It's part of the reason why because he wants us to lean in. He wants us to inquire, to ask those questions. Well, Jesus, what did you, what did you really mean by that? You know, like, more than just kind of helping to create a nice, clean picture, he wants us to lean into the one who's telling the story, to lean into the life of Christ and say, Jesus, what do you, what do you actually mean here? And it's the same for us as we read through Scripture, as we, as we read these parables, as we read these stories. It's like, God, what are you saying to me here? And really, that's what I want to do this morning, if, if we can. Yeah, I, um, I'm going to give you a little bit of kind of hopefully... Uh, helpful kind of background stuff to some of these little kingdom parables, but much more than kind of interesting information, I want it to cause you to lean in, to lean into the life of the Savior. You know, here we are at Christmas time, you know, leading into this, this incredible event that we celebrate around the globe, to lean in to this story, into this person of Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn into Mark 4 and Luke 13. You know, if you're on a device, then just 
trying to remember or whatever. Mark 4 and Luke 13. You with me so far? Make sense? I did forget to ask, by the way, um, uh, it is the beginning of December, and the most appropriate response at the beginning of December is to put your Christmas lights up. External Christmas, how many external Christmas lights people do we have in the room this morning? Ah, very good, anointed ones. That's, that's good, that's good. Anyway, completely off topic, but we'll get back into it. Okay, so three parables. Three parables. Uh, I want to talk about the growing seed, the mustard seed, uh, and the yeast, the parable of the yeast. So they're told in a few different places, growing seed in Mark 4, mustard seed in Matthew 13, Mark 4 and Luke 13, the yeast in Matthew 13 and Luke 13. But I'm going to read from Mark 4 and Luke 13, like I said before. So, so Mark 4, Mark 4, 26 and 29. Well, you know, if you get like a preacher or amen, that's, you, know, you can't get there, there's something. Yeah. Anyway, all right, the parable of the growing seed in verse 26. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. And then the parable of the mustard seed, uh, Mark 4 and verse 30 and 32. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Mustard seeds, by the way, this is from our little uh, local plant barn down the road. See them at the back? <laughs> uh, so they really are quite small, if you uh, really want. I, I was just fascinated to know what size they actually were. So come and have a look down the, uh, later on if you want to see the reality of the, the size. Okay, the parable of the yeast, jumping into Luke 13. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds. So conversion-wise, 27 kilograms, 27 kilograms of flour until it worked all through the dough. Are there any bakers uh, here? Do you know how, many, how much bread would 27 kilograms of dough make? I'd, uh, a lot, right? Yeah, okay. Is that enough of it? Yeah, anyway. You know, across these parables, these little three short kingdom parables that Jesus uses to help try and describe what the kingdom of God is like. You know, we've definitely got the, the, that theme of little things making a big difference, right? Uh, seeds that, when planted, magically grow and produce grain. Mustard seeds that are t the tiniest of all seeds produce the largest of all garden plants. Yeast that makes up such a small proportion of the dough amazingly works itself through the dough to cause the bread to rise and to be what it can be. And so it is with the kingdom of God that small things can lead to big 
impact, small moments, small conversations, small decisions that you make, uh, small, small shifts in the way that you think or the way that you uh, behave or act, acts of kindness, small faith steps, changes in those attitudes or behaviors, promptings, decisions. You know, sometimes the kingdom of God can be like those small little things, those small little seeds that get sown that start somewhere. Even the story of Coast Vineyard here this morning, that small seed that was sown as Matt and Jacinta kind of just tried to work out what God was uh, doing in and through their lives and then we're all benefactors of that story, you know? Just small seeds that start and grow. Uh, You know, Christmas time, the small baby that came to transform the world, 12 disciples, the small group of individuals where that led to literally billions of us being able to have this personal encounter with Jesus Christ, this relationship with God. Small things can lead to big impacts, right? The kingdom of God is like such things. And it has to be one of, if not the key theme of these kingdom parables. You know, whatever that little handful of seeds within our own lives. Whatever it might look like for you, for me, for you as a community of people, for for God through the nation as, he, as Christians gather in places like this is this little handful of seeds that we may have that God would want to plant into our lives but also for us to be able to plant as we go through our lives and God wanting to breathe upon them and do something significant. What you have within your life is not significant. It may look small on the outside. It may look small to the way that the world would class as big or small, but God would see it very, very differently. It's a small handful of seeds to grow something significant, to grow something meaningful. This little handful of seeds. But there are some subtleties going on in these little stories as well some behind-the-scenes stuff, if you like, to what Jesus is trying to say in and through these parables. So, for example, with the parable of the growing seed, at the end of it, he says, as soon as the grain is... This is the twist. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come, in Mark 4, 29. You know, many of those who were listening would have known that that was in reference to Joel. So in Joel 3.13, this particular scripture is quoted, is said, and it is in reference to, or set in the scene rather, of this grand coming picture of the kingdom of God. You know, they're, they're looking at uh, God restoring Israel's fortunes and outworking judgment around the surrounding nations. It would have been a day that the people that Jesus was speaking to were anticipating, were looking forward to, were expectant of. And he's telling them that this promised moment of God is coming, but coming in a very different way. It's not through some grandiose military moment that Jesus is going to come. It's through a little handful of seeds instead that the kingdom of God is going to become what we want it and need it to be. 
and there's patience that's needed, there's growth that takes place without you even knowing it. You know, the farmer goes to bed and the seeds grow without him even kind of doing anything or knowing about it. So it is with the kingdom of God that it would come and we wouldn't be able to kind of neatly package it around what we think and feel and want. Kingdom of God is like this. You know, when I stop and think about the way that uh, God's worked in my life, and I'm sure that you'd be the same as you, as you kind of track back a little bit. You know, yes, sure, there are some big moments, but there are a heck of a lot more of just small stuff. It's those small decisions. It's, it's, the, it's the being faithful to turn up to church every week. You know, like that's not a big moment. That's just a little seed. It's just as part of life that will be a little seed that I would sow. You know, as I, as I think about the way that, that God has moved in and through my life, I see just lots of little bits and pieces, little seeds, so to speak. Then there's the, the language and the imagery around the seed that is laid in the earth and then arises. This farmer goes to bed and then he gets up. And the cool thing is that that word that they use for getting up is the same common word for resurrection. So this farmer that would go to bed and be resurrected, again, using this language to bring into picture Jesus telling them the story as the seed gets put into the ground and it arises. This kingdom of God is coming and it's not coming in the way that you're expecting it, but it is going to fully come for you. Jesus would arise and the kingdom would be birthed, harvest would begin. And then there's the mustard seed. So one of the surprising aspects of this mustard seed that Jesus uses is that they don't like mustard plants. <laughs> In fact, I've got, a, uh, I've got a picture. If Albert, you can find that picture up there. So apparently this is what uh, mustard plants look like. Any mustard plants in people's gardens? Anyway. So apparently, uh, you know, mustard plants, they weren't, they weren't desired. They weren't wanted. In fact, what they would do is they would take over gardens. So maybe like some of you, not like me, you've got nice, neat veggie gardens, you know, a neat little rose. The, uh, the Jewish people would love their nice, neat rose within their veggie gardens, and mustard plants wouldn't play the game. The mustard plants, you plant the seeds, they would, they would spread out, they would infiltrate uh, throughout the, the whole veggie garden, and they were a bit of a nuisance. And so a much more appropriate a much more kind of good way for Jesus to refer to the kingdom of God would have been saying something like, the kingdom of God is like stately um, uh, cedars of Lebanon. They're big, they're grandiose, they're, they're, they're good to look at, they're, they're good to have any... Man, if you've got a cedar of Lebanon in your back garden, that's, uh, you know, rather than a bunch of mustard plants... No, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that gets planted in your garden and then it just begins to infiltrate and filter through every different aspect of the garden. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take your life from being nice and neatly boxed and lined and, and in control and it's going to birth the kingdom of God into your life and it might get a little bit messy and it might infiltrate into your family life and into the way that you do business and the way that you interact with people and the, the way that you treat the person in the, at, at the supermarket teller and it, it might influence the way that you, you talk to the person next to you and it, it might it, it may change the very nature of your life. It 
transforming your garden, so to speak. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that eventually grows into these mustard plants that are even large enough for birds to come and gather and find shelter there. Sometimes I wish that Christianity was a bit neater, that my, that my journey with God was cleaner and easier and made more sense. And, I, and to be honest with you, as I've gone on in my, in my faith, some of you know, you know some of our story and so forth, and you know, like, my Christianity has broadened and deepened and widened and has been good, but it's become less neat. There's a mystery to it. There's a, an unknowing to it, which is healthy and good, but confusing. Kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It turns into this grand plant takes over the garden. Luke 13 reveals that this, this story, that this parable is set uh, within the story of healing a crippled woman. Uh, so uh, there's this woman who's been crippled for some reason for 18 years. Jesus lays her hands on her and she's healed. And it's this mustard seed kind of type of moment that I think that Jesus is also getting at and, me and means us to see the link that he's making with the story. It's having this, you know, for that particular woman, it would have meant the world, right? But it's very, very possible that the others within that context would have maybe not even batted an eyelid, you know? It might have just been done quietly and she's healed. And it's this sort of mustard seed sort of moment, you know, for her, it was a big deal. For everybody else, it, 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 it may not have been. But in reality, it's still having ripple effects today, that little moment that Jesus had with that woman who he healed. The person who plants the seed waits for those moments to come. Patience is going to be needed again in this mustard seed story. The birds wait for the plant to be large enough so that it can find shelter. And the woman waiting for the bread to bake so that the yeast can have its full effect. There is this idea of patience uh, that's also included within these parables. And so it is that we wait. Sometimes we want to be in a hurry, don't we, for God to move in a particular way or a particular area, but there is a sense of, no, we need to have patience to see the kingdom of God come in and through us and amongst us. And it kind of raises that question of, you know, how is it, how is it that we're meant to wait? And again, just in, in referring to N.T. Wright and him referring to these parables, he says, we wait with patience, not like people in a dark room wondering if anyone will ever come with a lighted candle, but like people in early morning who know that the sun has arisen and are now waiting for the full brightness of midday. We wait with hope, we wait with expectation, we wait with patience to see what God might do. One of the little joys that I have at the moment is, um, uh, I mentioned we've got our youngest, Annalise, who's five, and if you, you can remember back if your kids are older or maybe you're a young parent as well, and uh, 
she loves her little creations. Uh, so it might be a picture that she's drawn or a, um, uh, uh, some Lego kind of masterpiece that she's created or a little card or whatever. And often it'll come out and, you know, when you walk in the door and she'll go like, Daddy, 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 look, look, I've got, come, come and show me. I mean, come, I want to show you. And she'll grab my hand and she'll, close your eyes, close your eyes. And so I've got to close my eyes. You know, you've got to be obedient, but you know that you've really got one eye open, not wanting to slam into something that she uh, kind of leads you through the room. So I'm kind of, you know, being led by her. Oh, sorry, not up there. Uh, being led by her. And, uh, and, uh, and then she, she'll have this grand unveiling, you know, of this, this masterpiece Lego thing or whatever. And it was really funny. Literally, when I was preparing this message, uh, working away in the room, she came bursting into the room and said, Daddy, 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 look at this. And so I thought, oh, oh you know. Uh, and, and so I thought, oh, I better take a photo of this. So. Now, I know that you don't need explaining. <laughs> but uh, just in case you can't see it from the back. So we've got uh, up the middle here, this is a fireworks display. So, you know, there's explosions going off up the center and then off to the side. The, the sun in the top right-hand corner is... There, you need a good sun when you actually. The reality is that when we did our fireworks you know, a few weeks back, the sun was still shining, you know. <laughs> like, anyway, but you know what? Like, as, as a dad, I don't grab that photo, I mean, that picture, sorry, and say, That's really good, darling, but you know, fireworks the least that you could do is just add a bit of color, you know. Like, I mean, it's all one color, and the sun, what really. What is the sun doing in the fire? I'd be an idiot, wouldn't I? Be an idiot as a dad to respond like that. Instead, I'm like, oh, that's great, darling. You know, why don't you tell me all about it? What's going on over here? And let her explore. You know, she gets so excited about the little creations that she makes, and and I get stoked because she's stoked at telling me, and she's so thrilled at what she's actually created. It's a shame that as we go through life, we lose that ability. We become more cautious in showing others what we've created, what we've put our effort to, what we've, what we've put our time and energy into. We become cautious and we think, oh, I'm not really sure that it's, that it's quite good enough. It's probably not really quite up to standard to to show you this. And we do that to God too. That sometimes we look at that little handful of seeds, we look at what we've got, and we think, ah, if only I had dot, dot, dot. If only I was as gifted as dot, dot, dot. I'm convinced that God loves our effort. Like I love my little girl's attempt at being creative, at putting her effort and energy into it. I'm convinced that God is the same with us. He doesn't look at your little handful of seeds like you might look at it. He looks at it with the potential of what he could do. And it makes it, and maybe, just maybe there are some people here this morning and you have allowed that sense of the littleness of those seeds to creep in and you've forgotten the ability of God to breathe upon them, to breathe upon that 
particular dream or relationship or whatever it might be. You'll know what it is in your life. And he sees great potential in your little handful of seeds. Great potential. God can do big with our little handful of seeds. That small bit of encouragement to someone else, that small bit of time, that small bit uh, to offer to pray for someone, that, that small idea that's been brewing around for a while, that small act of kindness. You know, even if we just look at the people in the room right now and we think about the different handfuls of seeds that we have around us and we think what the kingdom of God could be like if we would be prepared to be sowers of, you know, to receive, to, to allow God to plant those seeds into our lives in the first place, but then also to be planters, to sow them. Imagine the stories that could be told just as an influence of the little, the little handful of seeds of the people in the room right now. Imagine the stories that would be different if you would be prepared to sow what you've got and into the lives of others. Imagine how your family might look differently. Imagine how your marriage might look different. Imagine how your business might look different. Imagine how life could just look a little bit different. Whether it looks big to others, that's not the point, you know? Like, who cares? It's just saying to God, God, this is what I've got. Thank you for sowing them into my life and help me to be someone who would sow them as I go through my world.